Hi, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. And I'm Molly Williams. Join us as we take you on a musical journey of 40 years, 14 albums, countless great songs, and lots of great Duran Duran memories. From the band's self-titled debut album in 1981, through to the Paper Gods release in 2015, and, fingers crossed, a new album in 2021, the Duran Duran Albums podcast celebrates each of the studio albums while telling the story of the band. We chat through each album track by track, pick some of our favourite songs and memories from when the album was first released, and ask podcast listeners to give us their thoughts on each record. And we'll also have interviews with other Duran Duran fans throughout the course of this series, as well as extra episodes on everything from non-album songs, favourite gigs and the band's various side projects. So while you might want to save a prayer till the morning after, listen to the podcast now. Subscribe, spread the word, and celebrate 40 years of great music on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. Molly, we're back again. Another episode. We are over halfway through Duran Duran's studio albums. We're on to talk about studio album number eight. Thank you tonight. I think we're doing quite well in terms of the the Duran Duran discography. I'm amazed that, that you know we've come this far and we've not <laughs> fallen out. <laughs> Do you think that's maybe because we only ever meet up in Zoom? <laughs> Possibly so. And and I think you know we we because we have the mutual love of Duran Duran. It's all good. And obviously tonight's, uh, I think it's going to be quite an interesting discussion. But before that, I suppose I put out a wee short podcast extra bonus episode last week, just my my thoughts on having gone down from Glasgow to Birmingham to see Duran Duran. It was amazing. It was amazing just to see a live gig again, to be there and experience it. But the fact it was my favourite band uh, just made it all the better. And I just loved every minute of it. It was just amazing. I'm so jealous. And when you told me the other week that, that you were going, I was just like, damn it. <laughs> but uh, yes, I've, I've lived vicariously through your, your reports on it. So yeah, I'm just really raring to go now. I think uh, once they get the, the new album released, hopefully they'll, they'll get a lot of tour dates going. And it would be awesome if they actually played the smaller venues like they played down in Birmingham. But uh, I don't know what the, what the plans will be for that. Do you know, it was interesting because when we went down and I'd said to my wife, it's, it's very rare probably now that you get to see Duran Duran in that sort of intimate venue. And obviously they wanted to do it partly because it was their hometown, but I think it also was warm-up gigs for they were playing Scarborough and then they headlined the last night of the Isla White Festival. And what I thought was really interesting about that, obviously it's a much grander scale, is the amount of positivity about their performance and about them which would, first of all, I think it means that they'll probably be playing bigger venues for Future Pass because of the popularity. But it really pleased me that obviously people who are at the festival who are, who are watching it on TV are not all natural Duran Duran fans, but then maybe starting to see what we've been, what we've known for years and what we've been talking about in this podcast is that these guys can play their instruments, they can write brilliant songs and they can put on a right good show. Yeah, they still got it for sure. And um, I have friends who went to the, the Isle of Wight festival and not even necessarily Duran Duran fans. And they came back. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal to do the, the, the closing headline act at any of these festivals that we have over here in the UK. The fact that they, it sounds like they smashed it. That's got to bode well for, for the release of the album and, and for their future tour dates. I hope they do their VIP packages again because I can see some serious amounts of cash being <laughs> splashed out for that one so I can get the chance to meet them again and maybe get them on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've no doubt that within the short space of time of, of the album release, they'll, be, they'll have a tour lined up because they played on the, the night that I saw them. They played, they started off with Invisible. They played Anniversary, which sounded amazing. Then they played another new song, Tonight United, which was really catchy. And also there was a... Simon Le Bon was on uh, Zoe Ball's Radio 2 show today, which is the day we are recording this podcast. And she had said she'd got a sneak preview of the album and she was obviously raving about it. And it just made me, I was, I was, I was sitting listening to it, I was thinking, oh, 
Can I really, can I wait till October the 22nd? I don't know if I can. I've got some bad news though for you. You're going to have to. <laughs> Unless you know somebody that can get an advanced copy. Unfortunately not, but um, it'll be worth the wait. I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. Yeah, but I have to ask you, Paul, did you um, at the gig, because I know what your favourite track is off the new album, during the encore, were you jumping up and going up and down going, more joy, more joy, more joy? <laughs> Maybe I should have. Do you know that way I kind of, I'm not sure if you hear that live much. It's the sort of song I could see them maybe playing when they're doing the tour of Japan and getting tried to join them. I'm not sure if it, it will be a regular song. Maybe maybe it will, but I, I just kind of, because, for example, they didn't play, they played two nights at Birmingham. They played Save a Prayer the first night. They didn't play it the second night. But they've got so many songs. I'm happy. Whatever they play, it's, that's, you know, it's their choice. I'm just happy to be there. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, you had mentioned in, in your uh, bonus podcast about the, the gig how there has been a bit of criticism about the song choices that they made for these gigs. But for Pete's sake, you know, they've got 40 years of a back catalogue to, to choose from. And, and you know, it, it's up to them how to, to choose what vibe they're going to set for each gig. And, you know, oh, to be so lucky to have that wealth of material. Do you know the only thing I wish, you know, like I've never seen Bruce Springsteen live, which I'd, I'd like to do, but, you know, he... His concerts invariably last about three and a half hours, mm. where he's going through and he's just playing. I'd love for a band like Duran Duran to, and I know the difficulties of maybe having to do that night in, night out, but to to play for that length of time and how many songs and what sort of songs they could play over a period of maybe maybe three three and a half hours as opposed to the normal one and a half to two hours. You know how a lot of bands do these. Um almost like a tour series where they'll just play an entire album, you know, all the way through. Maybe that's what Duran Duran need to do. They could just do like a tour where, you know, they, they just work through their entire back catalog album by album. Maybe not this one from tonight, but we can talk about that <laughs> in a little bit. <laughs> well, that is, is, that is as close to a seamless link as, as we've got, because obviously tonight, I mentioned we're going to be talking about the eighth studio album, Thank You, released in 1995. Of course, most people, if not everybody will know, it was a, an album of uh, more or less every song bar one is cover versions, uh, reached number 12 in the UK, number 19 in the USA. We're going to go through it track by track, obviously, and we're going to get some comments from people who have been kind enough to give us their comments on Twitter. Kind of did this for the last one, just to get our initial reaction to the album, you know, without getting into the specifics of each track, what, especially having had a chance to listen back through it again recently, what are your thoughts on Thank You? Oh, this is, it's such a tricky one. I feel like it was a major faux pas on, on the band's part. I think they were just, Wedding Album was just awesome. And I know that, that, you know, we were kind of a bit mixed about the Wedding Album, but it showed that they could still write awesome songs and they could still get themselves back into the charts. And then it just feels like they almost pulled a typical Duran Duran and just fluffed it. I, I have no other word for it, but it just felt like they ran out of steam when they shouldn't have done. They should have been riding that crest. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny one, but I think the bad ones are really, really bad. But I do like, there, there are a number of, of tracks on there that I do like. Yeah, because it would actually be, you know, and we've talked about this, about how we're going to at some point get people to pick their top five Duran, Duran albums out of the 15 once Future Past is out. And this would always be number 15 out of 15 for me for two reasons. One is it's not, to an extent, I don't even think it's a, I know they say it's the eighth studio album. It's not really a Duran Duran album because it's not their songs. It's just, say, bar that one sort of song, which is a mix up of, mash up of their own song. Everything else is a cover version, so it's not the same as a even if a, even a Robbie's studio album. At least they've taken the effort to record their own songs and put them out there. This isn't it, and then compounded with the fact of the the song choices and the the versions. I think even uh, it's pretty dreadful. So that would always be number fifteen for me. And interestingly enough, when I was just reading up on it at the Q magazine, I think in two thousand and six, they voted it the worst album of all time and, and the editor or the deputy editor they said it was the one album that united everybody in agreement they said sometimes these things are redeemed by some sort of kitsch or novelty value but it didn't even have that it's not funny even for a split second 
and not even the sort of thing that you would put on for a laugh if you were drunk. It is abysmal on every level, as befits an album where you have Simon Le Bon trying to cover Public Enemy. So that is that is pretty <laughs> that's pretty damning, I would say. Just a little bit, yeah. I hadn't I hadn't seen that that review, but uh, yeah, that kind of puts the nail in the coffin. And I think you know they it probably really did screw them over quite royally because, you know, they probably battled all the way up into that point about just being a pretty boy pop band with no real musical merit. And that just kind of nailed it. And I always have a bit of an issue with cover songs anyways, because I, I kind of think, why just rehash what somebody else has already done? If, you, if you're going to do a cover, do a new take on it, you know, do your own interpretation of the song. But that it just felt so lazy and so self-indulgent. I think that was one of the the words that I'd seen uh, to describe the album. Just self-indulgent and arrogant almost. Yeah, well, I think, again, apparently at some point after that, the band did say it was commercial suicide, uh, which I think is a pretty accurate. Because I think there's a, I know Joe Wiley used to do it on Radio 2 in, in uh, the UK, I think called The Live Lounge, where she would get bands on and they would play one of their own songs and then they would do a, a cover. And it was quite often it was something unusual. So for example, the one that always stuck out for me, it was Travis, who again I always like to champion Scottish bands. They do a brilliant cover of Britney Spears Baby One More Time. And part of it's just because it's funny, because it's just the sort of thing you're thinking, no way in a million years would a kind of guitar band cover that. But it's really it's brilliant. And I've seen them play it live as well. And as you say, it has to be something that's either unusual or a different take. The 911 is a joke. Obviously, we'll talk about that. That is that would probably fall into that category. But I suppose the other the other part of that is that they have to do a good cover of it. Well, this is it. I mean, like you said, Travis's cover of Britney was probably a little bit tongue in cheek. But I just wonder, did Simon really think that he could do 911 as a joke credit? Can I tell you a, a story about that? The Britney Spears song. So I I, I used to play it. I'd learned the acoustic version, the Travis version. And I would play it at parties, but we were on holiday one year in uh, Spain in Santa Ponza in Mallorca. And we were in this pub and it was a couple of guys playing guitar and that was the, the night, but they would invite people up to sing. So they, I, I got up to play a song. They gave me the guitar and I started, I played that Britney Spears song. And there was a, a hen party of about a dozen really drunk women who were up dancing. And at the end of when I finished that song, one of the girls had come over to me and she said, you know what? I went to see Britney Spears two weeks ago and you're better than her at that song. That's the highlight of my musical career. And was your wife sitting at the back of the pub going, oh, for Christ's sake, just sit down? I think she just, she said, no, I don't know him. I don't know him at all. Was somebody, some other guy over there. <laughs> we always ask for Twitter comments on the albums and people are always kind enough to, to respond. And it's funny, I thought that there would be a kind of tsunami of, negativity towards thank you and I was quite surprised that there was quite a lot of mixed reaction and quite a bit of positivity towards uh, the thank you album and I don't know whether that's because the people who really didn't like it didn't want to say anything negative about the band but I was uh, as I say I was quite surprised the first comment that we have is from Graham who has picked his top three from the album would be watching the detectives Lee Lady Lay and Crystal Ship and his favourite track from this period was the B-side to the Perfect Day single, which was a cover of Neil Young's Needle and the Damage Done. And the low point was Ball of Confusion. Bad, he says. And also the, there was a Channel 4 TV programme back in the day called The Word, which is a bit kind of anarchic rubbish, to be honest. And he said he remembers the, the band being on that. I think they played a couple of songs on that. He said it was somehow great and awful at the same time. That pretty much sums up the word in its exactly. entire way. So... Uh... It was, it was almost like car crash TV. It's great to watch. <laughs> then we had H at Wisdom of Harry, who's in Australia. So shout out to our international fans. Thank you very much. But what he said is, I'm a fan of Thank You. Cover LPs are standalone records and shouldn't be compared or thought of in the same way as an original LP. Probably better to have released it in 1994 while still touring the wedding album. We weren't going to get an original album during this time. A cover is better than Zilch. So, I mean, yeah, I guess I had never really thought about it in that sort of way that, you know, it does need to be compared kind of outside the, the realm of just a standard studio album. But 
nah, don't think I agree with him. Culture Kiosk, who you said, had just played it for the first time ever. Uh, I was aware of the singles and the press diatribe. The good points were Perfect Day, Lay, Lay, Delay, and Thank You, especially Nick's tingy synth outro. And also likes the, the play on the chauffeur on drive-by. Thinks this production is good, but yeah, that's about it. And I think Culture Kiosk, based on my knowledge of, of his posts and that sort of thing, I think he doesn't pull any punches. You know, I, I think he's, if he really, really didn't like it, I think he would have told us. So that's fair enough. And um, then the next one comes all the way from France. Uh, Stéphane Momi, apologies if I've mispronounced your name. Some tracks are really good. Thank you. Perfect day. White lines. Crystal ship. I don't like the others. Short and sweet, straight to the point. <laughs> Just on that question of the, the whole thing about pronunciation, on the, the last podcast we did in the wedding album, the, it was a woman called Caroline Roney. When I'd emailed her just to let her know that it was in the podcast, she'd, she'd heard it. And she said to pass on her compliments to you because you'd pronounced her surname properly. And very few people do. Yay! <laughs> oh, now I'm going to be under pressure to like make sure I pronounce everybody's names correctly. And I'll totally get that one wrong. <laughs> our, uh, our friend Jason Lent, Velvet Rebel Music, his comments on thank you. The absolute wrong song choices executed decently. It's a hard listen. If they had covered Bowie, Roxy Music, T-Rex, Japan, Sparks, etc. It could have been amazing. I know I think in one of the, not sure if it was the, the Japanese version of the album, I think they did the Diamond Dogs, the Bowie song. And obviously they did Five Years recently, which was a really good cover. I still think, even if they'd chosen different songs, even different artists, I, feel, I still think the same criticism would have been levelled at it because it's, it's still not Duran Duran songs. I, I would kind of agree with you on that one. They don't need to do cover songs. People should be covering their songs, which they do. So, yeah, I don't know that different song choices would have been, would have made it any better. But the concept of Duran Duran doing Sparks, that would be interesting, definitely. Right. Well, the next one that we had was Queen of the 80s. And what she was saying is, I'm not disappointed by the album at all. I was glad when it came out as it was only two years after the wedding album. Oh, to have such a short gap between albums. Not nowadays. I love the album. Yep, I still skip 911. But apart from that, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Russell Morris says, I feel thank you is undervalued and unloved. And I will be in the corner for the defense of the album. I would agree with the choice of some of the tracks, but the sheer joy is the band playing Dylan, Zeppelin and Sly and the Family Stone. Tracks that would not normally be heard by Duran Duran fans. Yeah, I agree with that. But then Duran Duran fans want to listen to Duran Duran, like we've been saying. The next one, I love this guy's Twitter handle, Well Chuffed Rick. Now, that is a word that they don't have over in America. So um, I wonder how, how the Americans will take that one. Anyways, a lot of people were expecting them to consolidate the success of the wedding album. Instead, they committed commercial suicide. Many critics never took them seriously. And this album added fuel to the fire. Can't disagree with that one. I think that's where the, for people who don't like it. And again, when we got into talking about the, the tracks, I was still trying to listen to them as tracks to make a judgment. But I was always frustrated as a lot of people were. And I think we spoke about this before, about how and you said, I think at the top of the podcast, they didn't cash in on the fact that they had kind of had this resurgence with the likes of Ordinary World and Come On Done. Just brilliant, brilliant songs. They'd get a bit of commercial success. They had probably got a new generation of fans or people re-engaging with them, with them. And it was really a missed opportunity. It really was. And, you know, I think Duran Duran in the past had kind of fallen foul of that. They just kind of lost their inspiration. And, you know, we've had a few examples of some duds, but this was just like a whole album's worth. Well, interestingly, Simon Cresswell got in touch with us, more or less echoing the sentiments that we've just said uh, Simon says I was disappointed after the wedding album Momentum I thought it was a cop out but there are some good things uh, Perfect Day and Crystal Ship being those good things it wasn't the best thing to do after getting interest back from the radio was it if we're honest I think you're right Simon I do and can I just say when you said Simon says I just <laughs> want to touch my head oh it's a pity it's just an audio podcast isn't it definitely Right, onwards. Um, Amy put on this, this Twitter post for us. I was not in love with most of the song choices, 
but they play them so well. I do enjoy most of it. And White Lines rocks my socks off. And yes, again, White Lines, there is just something about that beat to that song, I think, that does make you want to get up and, and do a little bit of a rock about. There's a couple of songs. That's one of them, actually. And the, the Wild Boys is another Duran, actual Duran Duran song, which I'm not a massive fan of, but I think when they play it live, I think it's brilliant live. And I, I would agree with Amy. Probably I wouldn't use the phrase it rocks my socks off, but I think they do a really a damn fine version of it live. Johnny Ho. <laughs> <laughs> and the last of the comments we've got is Madame de Lion Court or de Leon Court. I love so many of those songs, superbly arranged. Never understood why it didn't do well. So that's somebody else that's a, a fan of the of the album. I'm looking forward to us digging in deep to this album, which again was described, I'm not sure if it was by Q Magazine, as 54 minutes and 29 seconds of pure hell, which we'll come to shortly. But we will take a break for the latest instalment of the Duran Duran story. We're up to part 10. And as always, this is my daughter, Rebecca, telling us the latest in the Duran Duran story. The Story of Duran Duran, Part 10 Duran Duran's eighth studio album saw the band decide to pay tribute to their musical influences by recording an album of cover versions entitled Thank You. The album, which came out in April 1995, was a follow-up to the wedding album, but it did not enjoy the success of its predecessor, reaching number 12 in the UK album chart and number 19 in the US Billboard 200. Critics were scathing of the album, which Q Magazine later declaring it to be the worst album of all time, with the band's version of the public enemy song 911 is a joke, attracting particular vitriol. Among the other songs recorded was Blue Reed's Perfect Day, which saw original drummer Roger Taylor reunite with the band to play on the track. It was also the first single from the album, though it did not enjoy much chart success. But though the critics may have been less than impressed by the album, Lou Reed said that Duran Duran's version of Perfect Day was the best cover ever completed of one of my own songs. The title track Thank You was a cover of a Led Zeppelin song and it also appeared in a Led Zeppelin tribute album called Encomium. The Thank You album was, by the band's own admission, commercial suicide and the fallout from it meant that their record label EMI refused to release their next album, 1997's Medazland in the UK. So I suppose, uh, having got this far in this podcast, we should really dive in to the Thank You album in depth and tackle them track by track. And I don't know, before we, we did this podcast, and I think we, you and I were talking about possibly doing a wee playlist. I, I know you did it, and I did it as well separately, of, and then listening to the Duran Duran track and then the original track, just as a comparison, uh, which I found really interesting, just to see... And kind of go, goes to what you were saying earlier on of if you're going to do a cover, you have to do it something different. There was a few songs on the album where it just was almost as if they were, it wasn't a cover, they were almost been trying to be a tribute band to some of the songs. It just doesn't work. And I think when you listen to the original beside their, their version, you became very aware of that. Absolutely. And that's such a good way of putting it, a tribute band, because the thing that pop, popped into my head as soon as you said that was a wedding band, just, you know, playing the covers, trying to sound like the original, the singers on it and that sort of thing. And that is absolutely what it is. They went from the wedding album to being a wedding band. <laughs> that is brilliant. So the first track on the album, which again is a really, is actually a really unusual, a bold choice is the Melly Mel song, White Lines. And first of all, what do you think of Duran Duran's version of that I said, obviously I'd, I'd said I, I do think they perform it brilliantly live I think it's brilliant as part of their show but a, a strange for a band particularly back at that time that song and particularly to be the album opener yeah it is a bit of a weird one but strangely I do like it but I find it weird that number one it's about cocaine use and we know that the some of the band members had some issues with the little white powder um so 
it was quite an interesting song choice, I think, to begin with. It's a rap song, and these are some knocking on for middle-aged white men, but I think it somehow did work okay. Um, I remember my memory of it back, you know, in, in mid-95 was, yeah, this I, I could actually listen to it. And, and like I said just a little bit ago, it does make me want to get up and, and move. So yeah, I think this one is actually okay. And and I think they had um, Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel actually doing a bit of backing vocals, if you can call it backing rapping, I guess. But yeah, I, I think that kind of gave a little bit of credence to the to the song. Where do you stand on the cover version in comparison to the original? Well, I think it's just an iconic song and, and you just can't compare. And, and they didn't do anything different to it, I, I think. I think they did try to stay close to the original. But one of the notes that I had put on it here was, I did like the mix and the production of it. It feels authentic rather than just a bunch of old white men. So, yeah, I think as far as this one goes, it was it was all right. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I do think this is one of the, the better ones on the album. And But I think part of my feeling on it is part because I've seen them playing it live now a few times and for whatever reason it does get the crowd going and they do perform it really well live so actually I, I don't mind it I, th- I think the original is obviously much better but I'm okay with it actually I want to take you higher as the next track Sly and the Family Stone but what I was going to do is because obviously they have two versions of that which again you fill an album full of cover versions and you cover the same song twice which is just what on earth's going on if they- yeah. Had they just given up at that point? So what I was going to do is, well, first of all, do you, do you like either version? And if so, which one do you prefer? Either the I, would, I Want to Take You Higher or the last song on the album, I Want to Take You Higher again. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell the truth. I don't think I even listened to the last one. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I liked the original song by Sly and the Family Stone. And I just hated the samples that Duran Duran used in theirs, that woman's voice and her talking was just rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and it just put me off the whole thing. Do you know that way at first, when I was going through it, and I actually Googled to see whether, I'm thinking, surely Sly and the Family Stone didn't just do two versions of that same song. And then that's when I realised it was just basically they did one a kind of more rockier version and then one a version which is more kind of slightly more synth electronic which is, I think is probably the slightly better version of the song. Although, I don't know if it's the lesser of two evils, but it's just <laughs> already when you're on this, it's almost like trying to remember the first time you heard the album. So the first song, you go, White Lines, Bold Choice. Oh, okay, we'll give it a go. Second one, I'm not really sure why you're covering that and you're not really doing it very well. So that's kind of slightly inexplicable, as is the fact, why on earth? Surely, if, if, if it's a kind of catalogue of some of their favourite songs and influences, surely they could have just chosen another song, another cover song. Because, they, you know, somebody mentioned they covered a Neil Young song, they covered a Bowie song at the time for B-Side. Surely they could have stuck one of them in the album. Yeah, and I had found a quote along the way that I Want to Take You Higher is not a message song. Instead, it is simply dedicated to music and the feeling one gets from music. Kind of intimating to me that Duran Duran actually had a meaning and a message that they wanted to get across with thank you. I think after listening to the whole album, I can't really see it myself. There are a couple of songs on there that maybe are a little bit more of a political slant, but I don't think they were accomplished in delivering those. So I just really wondered, did they actually go in with that intention of putting a message out there? Doubt it. The next song is a Lou Reed song, Perfect Day. Interestingly, at the recent gigs, so they played the full version of White Lines. And then when they, the night that I went to see them, they came back on and they started off their encore by playing Perfect Day and then just that bled into the Wild Boys, which again worked quite well. Lou Reed apparently thinks this is, or thought this was the best cover version of his song. His song's a much better version. It's okay, pretty, a bit insipid, I think. I hear where you're coming from, but um, again, I go back to when the song was actually released and I have fond memories of the song. I'm not particularly a fan of Lou Reed's voice, so I don't think I had ever heard the original um, before then. But I I do quite like Perfect Day, and and I just, I can't remember. Was it the Duran Duran version that was part of the Children in Need campaign, or had somebody else covered it? I think that was a different version where they just got, you know, various people 
you know, that kind of band-aid style with like, a whole variety of people song on it. Yeah, and I just it just feels like kind of it had that feel-good factor at that point in time, even for the Duran Duran version. So I've always been a fan of this version by Duran Duran. But again, it's a pretty straightforward cover. It's, it's not groundbreaking in what they did. But yeah. my little interesting fact on this one, Roger Taylor played on this track. So he actually came back and he played on a few of the, the tracks for this album. So yay, brought Roger back into the fold. So that's, that's why you like it. <laughs> I never knew that until I was doing the research. So it just further confirms that I have fine taste and, and you know, Roger Taylor is God. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the songs I remember at various points you end up, especially with people who either, you know, when they find out you're a Duran Duran fan and they're a bit dismissive and then particularly people who would maybe like Lou Reed or Velvet Underground. And I used to always say, well, Lou Reed thought that was the best cover version of the song, so who are you to argue or who am I to argue? But I'm still, it kind of washes over me a wee bit. The next, next. song is, uh, sorry, uh, Watching the Detective, the Elvis Costello song. What's your thoughts on that one? Well, I'll start off with, I am not an Elvis Costello fan at all. What? I know. Sorry. Shoot me if you like, but I just, I've never really been a fan. But saying that, I quite like Simon's voice singing this song. So I think, you know, as far as, as rating the, the tracks on this album, this is probably one of the all right ones. I, well, that's why I wrote. I thought it was one of the better covers on the album. Uh, I am a, an Elvis Costello fan. He's brilliant. I've seen him live. He's brilliant live. And there's a thing he does. He has this spinning wheel with all his songs. And obviously it is kind of fixed because they must know what they're playing, but they get people in the audience up, spin the, the wheel and whatever it stops at, the band play it. And obviously it's slightly contrived, but it's, it's brilliant as part of the night. I, I really like him. So I, as a result, I think the original is better. I think it sounds a wee bit sharper, but I do think actually the it's a decent enough cover version of, of that song. So I, I was okay with that one as well. I think that's one of the, the highlights of a... Of the album, I think. Yeah, I think so. And apparently uh, this song, Watching the Detectives, is one of Elvis Costello's favourite tracks of his own anyway. So I, I don't know if he's ever commented upon Duran Duran's version of it, but at least he liked his own song. The the next song is a Bob Dylan song, Lay, Lady, Lay. And a few people, I think, had mentioned in the comments that was, for some people, that was a, I think it may have been a highlight for them. What, what did you think of Lay, Lady, Lay? Well, this has always 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 been on my track list ever since this album has come out it, it's, it's always been on my track list and to be perfectly honest I didn't even realize it was Bob Dylan who's saying the original even when I was listening to to the original when I was doing the research I was like is that what Bob Dylan sounds like I didn't even realize his voice is slightly different in that one for me at the start of it it's as if they've I don't know if they were recording it at the same time as they'd recorded Come Undone because it was the same kind of guitar sound I think at the start of it that they play in that in the intro I think there's better Bob Dylan songs that they could have recorded again I think it was quite a it's not a Bob Dylan song that would have jumped out to me as one that you would have wanted to record and they didn't really do anything with it I think to make it different or anything so I, I was pretty underwhelmed by that one and you know actually that's a good point because I think I do remember the the song when it was originally out well, it's probably back in the, the 70s, I guess. My dad was very much into his soft rock, I think, back in the, the 70s and early 80s. And it was things like James Taylor and Bread. And, and I think this song kind of slotted right in there. So I'm sure I must have heard uh, Lay, Lady, Lay, you know, listening to, to records with my dad. So I guess th there is a little bit of nostalgia for me. But yeah, I just, I love that song. And Simon singing it, it's fantastic. The last song in this group of songs that we'll, before we, we hear a clip from one of the interviews that we've done is 911 is a joke, the public enemy song. I think this I was thinking we should just have tumbleweed in silence because it's kind of <laughs> like I wrote a joke, exclamation mark. I don't know what else I can say about it. I think this version is just a joke, isn't it? Oh, it's awful. And I think it is because of this song that makes the whole thing just absolute rubbish. You know, it's been in the past with Duran Duran albums where, you know, it could be a 50-50 split between the, the good tracks and the, and the bad ones. 
but it kind of made it even out as far as like whether we whether I like the album or not. This one, there are, you know, a good three, four tracks on it that I really, really like. But this one is just so pants. I mean, I don't like either version. To be honest, I don't like the Night Public Enemy version. And I suppose that idea of you choose a song that's maybe slightly unusual and try and do something with it. But I mean, if you, as we've said in previous podcasts, Simon shouldn't be rapping. I had visions when I was listening to it of, of him being in the sound booth singing, doing recording his vocals and the rest of the band sitting with their heads in their hands, listening, going, oh my God, what have we done? Cringe. What have we done? And, you know, again, one of the, the so-called premises of, of doing this covers album for Duran Duran was to cover some bands that were influences on the band. But this song, I think, came out maybe like a year or two before um, Thank You came out. So, yeah, what a massive influence. Public Enemy were, were on Duran Duran. Just <laughs> why? I don't know whether they thought, you know, they were trying to be funny or ironic. I don't know what it was, but it backfired because I don't think, I think people just thought it was a, it was a joke. And, and as you say, I think that was the final nail in the coffin of the album, really. Yeah, and, and, you know, this is the song that I was referencing back about, you know, the fact that Travis were tongue-in-cheek when they did the, the Britney song, but I don't catch any sense of irony from Duran Duran on this one at all. But I, I think, you know, that idea of if Duran Duran had gone in and did that live lounge where they just play one of their own songs and then play a cover, I think if they'd played that as the cover, probably people would have just, it would have been seen as just a laugh and... Duran Duran covering Public Enemy, that's mental. But it had been one song, one night, one performance, and that's it. You don't put those sort of things in an album and expect people to take you seriously, I don't think. You don't retain it for posterity, that's for sure. <laughs> I, absolutely not. Unfortunately, we still have another five songs to talk about, but <laughs> we are going to take a breather and uh, hear uh, a short excerpt from an interview I did recently with Matt McChernock, who is a big Duran Duran fan. He also has a, a music project called Bittersweet Machines, which I would urge people to check out. They're really good. You can get them on Spotify. Interestingly enough, given that we're talking about a covers album, he does, on his last album, one of the songs he does cover is a Duran Duran song, Winter Marches On, which I have to say is a really good version. And he's also been on Twitter in recent days saying he's going back into the studio to, to finish off doing a deluxe version of the album, which will include a cover version of Duran Duran's Secret October. So uh, I'm interested to hear Matt's version of what uh, you and I both chose as one of our favourite three Duran Duran songs. Yeah, so no pressure, Matt. You know, uh, you do you. And, and I think I think we're looking forward to it, though. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is just a wee short excerpt. In the course of the full interview, which we'll put up as a, a bonus episode, uh, I also asked him about the Thank You album. Uh, but here's just a wee short excerpt. He's a really good guy, Matt, and uh, it was a really a great chat talking all things Duran Duran. I have to say that uh, your entry point into Duran Duran has got to be one of my favourite stories that I've that I've heard. If you if you can let people know the, the story behind you, you first discovering Duran Duran's music. So I would say it was around 1983, and um, I was I was in elementary school, and I'm on the playground. And I'm, you know, we're, it's during recess and I'm on the swings and I'm kind of, yeah, I see this group of like, you know, four or five girls playing on the balance beam and, you know, being a eight-year-old boy, I was kind of watching the, the girls play and then the bell rings and the teacher kind of comes to the door and says, everybody, kids come in. Everyone starts jogging into the school and I see the girls take off from the balance beam. And as I'm kind of jogging past the balance beam, I see that one of the girls has left something on the balance beam. So I kind of jog over to see what it is. And it was the cassette tape to Rio. Remember cassette tapes? Yeah. So it was, it was a cassette tape and I looked at it and I kind of had a choice to make, right? I could either do like the right thing, which was probably like go to the office and like turn it into the lost and found and return this cassette tape that had been left behind. But instead I slipped it into my pocket and, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I, I felt like I had committed some like high crime, but I, I slipped it into my pocket for whatever reason. And I remember like 
riding on the school bus home and I was like terrified that like, you know, helicopters were going to descend on the bus, you know, because I had committed some great crime. And, uh, but anyway, I get home, I race down the driveway, I go into my house and I had like a little tape recorder boom box. And I remember like laying on the floor, like under my bed because I, 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 and I slipped the, I slipped the cassette in there and I kind of wanted to listen to it in secret because again, I had this kind of feeling that maybe I was doing something wrong, which maybe even added to the experience. I don't know. But I put the cassette tape in side A and I rewind it. And I just started at the beginning of Rio. And I think I was probably like, I think Duran was probably on the periphery of my understanding. You know, I was a young guy. I was like, again, like eight years old. So, you know, it was the beginning of the MTV generation. So I think I had heard of Duran Duran, but I hadn't really listened. So I pressed play on the cassette tape. And, you know, you just have, you start to hear that slow moaning roar of the entry of Rio and then it explodes. Right. And I just kind of, I just kind of sat there. I mean, it, it's one of the most transformative moments of my life. Real, I mean, I'm not even being funny, but clearly, because here I am 40 years later talking to you about it, but I, I just remember completely like immersing myself into what I was listening to and what I was listening to it, it almost like transported me to another place, to a place that was certainly much more interesting than South Jersey, which is where I grew up. You know, it was, it was much more interesting than my second grade life. It was exotic. It was adventurous. It was escapist. And I, I knew I was listening. Even then, I knew I was listening to something that was very different. And I just listened to that whole first album or that whole first side and flipped it over and then New Religion starts. And you know, by the end of it, like I just kind of sat there, like after the chauffeur, after you hear, you know, the keys jangling at the end of the chauffeur, and you're kind of sat there, like with your mouth agape a little bit, and you're like, what did I just listen to? You know, so my entry point into Duran, you know, is what I think probably most would consider to be their their masterpiece album. I'm sure that people have different opinions on that, but like yeah, it just, it, it just changed my life. In, in 39 minutes, my life got moved on a different course. So, yeah, so that was my entry point into Grand Grand. So is, is the model from that story that crime sometimes does pay? <laughs> it, it certainly does. We mentioned, I mentioned beforehand about Matt covering Secret October, and, and I suppose, again, he's, he's maybe just delving into those kind of deeper cuts and, and more unusual songs that maybe a lot of people who would be more famous people, you know, like for example, I think of Girls Aloud covering Girls on Film, people would choose, which I quite like actually as a version, but people would choose the more obvious songs. So it's quite good that he's maybe just trying to do something a bit more unusual. And I'm really interested to hear uh, what he does with that song. Definitely. So thank you very much for giving that interview. We are on to the remaining five songs in the Thank You album. And the first of those is Success, the Iggy Pop song. Was it a success for you, Molly? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this was just a straight cover from the original, I think. Um, I wasn't familiar with the Iggy Pop version, and um, I'm not a big Iggy Pop fan, so I'm not really a fan of the song anyways. But um, yeah, my first comments were uh, that I had written down Sounds like sweet or some 70s glam rock pastiche. But then the, the original version was kind of of that moment anyway. So it's not much of a surprise. Yeah, I've just put a boring, straightforward cover. Meh. Well, actually, I, I mean, I quite like Iggy Pop. I think they kind of upped the tempo of the track from the Iggy Pop original. I would say this is possibly my favourite song on the album, actually. It was the one where I felt they were having some good fun. The only thing I thought was it felt more like a song that they would have just all got together to jam just for having a laugh, that, that feeling. So it wasn't a song that maybe you would record, but like, what will we play as they're sitting about the room? Like, let's play Success and they play it. Or a song that they would play at a, a sound check or something, just, you know, something to get them in the mood. So it was kind of, it had that feel to it. But actually, I actually liked the up-tempo version compared to Iggy Pop's version. Oh, well, you did actually take something positive away from the album then. I did actually, yes. Um, 
And then we plummet. Crystal ship by the doors, which again goes back to exactly what you said earlier on, from the wedding album to a wedding band. This for me is, you know, I, I was thinking as I was listening to it, what's the point of doing covers where you're trying to imitate rather, rather than interpret it in a different way? You know, Simon Le Bon isn't Jim Morrison. You know, he's Simon Le Bon. Why try to be the doors? It was pointless. Yeah, and um, I am a bit of a hippie chick, and I love the Doors. And I think this is just a really classic Doors song. You know, it's just the the organs that they used in in their music. Just nobody could compare. Nobody. I don't think anybody can. Probably be proven wrong on this one, but I don't think anybody can do a Doors song justice as a cover. So I don't think they should try. Well, I think you have to do something completely different. So quite often I like cover versions of songs where, say, it's a female vocalist singing a traditional male vocalist song or vice versa, because then I th- immediately you're thinking of of something different. It, it sounds different immediately because of that. So that that would be interesting to hear those songs maybe covered by a female artist, but I, I think the crystal ship completely sunk for me. <laughs> However, things don't get any better because we are on to... Ball of Confusion by The Temptations. And the only thing that I wrote was, this should have been the title of the album. Excellent. I wonder if they, if they would have gotten into any like trademark issues if, if they tried to do something like that. But surely they would never admit to it being a ball of confusion. The original is just an awesome song. You know, I, I just think it, it's just the, the the Temptations, growly voices and that sort of thing. I think it's, it's a great song. But uh, yeah, they just... The thing that I had read about it was apparently the original version was about, it had a strong political message, apparently. You know, it was about the problems that were happening in the world in the 1970s, the Vietnam War, racial segregation, drug abuse, cricket politicians, and all this sort of stuff. And again, you know, harking back to what I said earlier, was this supposed to be like a a message album for, for Duran Duran? Were they trying to be political? And I just don't think political messages sit well with Duran Duran. They're a great songwriting pop band. That's what they need to stick to. Don't try to play politics. Because the other thing that struck me, and it goes back to the comment that Velvet Rebel Music made, you know, if they'd cover things like Bowie, Roxy Music, T-Rex, Japan, Sparks, artists that they were probably more influenced by and who over the years have cited as influences. I, I don't really see, a lot of the songs, I'm not really sure where, you know, is it a tribute of, is Elvis Costello and Bob Dylan and Iggy Pop and the Doors with, and the Temptations, were they the kind of pivotal or the, the, the main influences in the band? I don't think so. So I, that's what made me, there were so many songs on it of which Ball of Confusion is another one where you're thinking, was this just like they just put a whole pile of songs in a, in a bowl and drew out the bit of paper that said Ball of Confusion? Okay, we'll do that one. Maybe so. There's about as much rhyme or reason to that method than any we seem to be able to figure out here. So yes, it is very, very odd. And- I absolutely agree with you what you're saying there, because when when I was listening through these, I mean, we've talked about in the past on other podcasts about they were so majorly influenced by the likes of Chic and, you know, to a certain extent, Punk. I never knew that they were like influenced by Sly and the Family Stone, The Temptations, that sort of thing. And I'd read, just to go back to success, apparently back in the day when they were the house band at the Rum Runner, in Birmingham, Nick used to DJ and he used to play Iggy Pop. So I suppose like maybe an undercurrent for him, Iggy Pop might've been there, but these other bands and the Doors, have you ever got any sort of Doors vibe from anything that Duran Duran has ever done? No. We now go to the title track, the Led Zeppelin song, Thank You. My first comment was no thank you. Dull song, dull cover. What was the point? Yeah, again, I... I go back to were Led Zeppelin really an influence on, on these guys? I do love Led Zeppelin. I think Robert Plant has such a, a great, unique voice. And I think Simon did an okay version with his voice. But yeah, you, you just, you're not going to beat the original, I don't think. The only thing I would say is that, well, I listened to the full version of the Duran Duran one, just simply just to hear what it was like. I kept skipping the Led Zeppelin one. I'm not a, I'm not a big Led Zeppelin fan, so which was where I think it's a dull song, whoever records it. So again, you know, going back to what you were, your point was, 
I've never seen, I've not really seen them citing Led Zeppelin as a big massive influence on them. So I just thought it was just a bizarre choice. And apparently this version appeared on a movie soundtrack. And I don't know which came first, if the album was there or if it was the movie soundtrack that came beforehand. And that was that that gave them the idea to do a covers uh, album. I'm not too sure, but I, I don't even remember what the, what the movie was. All of it faded into the into insignificance quite quickly, I would guess. Obviously, we talked about the last track in the album. I want to take you higher again earlier on. So the, the last track we're going to talk about is the second last one, which is Drive By, which is a kind of, I don't know how you would describe it, a kind of mashup of Duran Duran. There's, there's a bit of the chauffeur in there. There's Simon's talking vocals. This was so awful, it actually made me want to cry. It was almost painful. I was listening to it, I was... It made me think as if the band had just thought, do you know what? This album is so dreadful. We may as well include this because it can't get any worse. It was as if they'd just given up. And, you know, the fact that they put that on and then uh, a second cover of the same song, it was as if they just thought, do you know what? What the hell? We're going to get slaughtered for it anyway. So it really, it's actually beyond awful. It really did make me, honestly, I was close to tears. Well, my first comment against this one was simply W-T-A-F. <laughs> and then I'm going to swear. And then it, I moved on to shite, shite, shite. <laughs> I mean, it's such a shame because if you're doing a covers album, why stick on anything original? Why stick on anything original that is just this pants? And then why finally massacre what is a really awesome song? The Chauffeur is a great song. Why did they have to do it? I have no idea. The whole thing was bizarre, actually. And as I say, there was maybe one or two slightly redeeming songs on it. But overall, you know, I'd say to you at the start, that would be, it's definitely my least favourite Duran Duran album. Other people have said as well that you can't consider it in the same vein because it is a covers album. But I do think that there would have been still some of the same criticisms that they could have done better songs could have done better versions of songs, but it just, I'd love to know who decided, or was it a collective decision that who decided it was a good idea to put this album out on the back of the wedding album? Because it's right up there with the, uh, with the, some of the worst musical decisions that have that ever been made by anyone. Yeah. And, you know, I had read some articles about this that it was kind of born out of the fact that the band couldn't seem to agree on where they wanted to go after the wedding album. So if they couldn't agree, I just can't imagine what that, what that meeting would have been like. So who actually drove this idea forward? Did somebody, did they just get all shit faced one night and like, yeah, let's do this. And then it just kind of fed it, fed into it. And, and then they just whacked it out. And I think the worst thing is that, you know, in the back of this, that it meant when they, which, when we come to discuss Medazzaland, obviously, which is the next studio album, but in the back of the the fact that it bombed commercially and critically, they didn't even get a UK release for the next album. So they went from a band to, you know, get back at the higher reaches of the charts with uh, Ordinary World and Come Undone and the success of the wedding album. Within an album, they actually can't get a, a record deal for releasing the UK, which is extraordinary. It really is. And, and I just wonder if maybe they had been skating on thin ice for a number of years and the wedding album came along and it, it saved them but then it just yeah the, the the record company were just like hell's no we're not taking any more chances with you on that one and it, it was just like we've said a couple of times now commercial suicide so what was the band so wrapped up in themselves that they just couldn't see the reality of how shit it was I can't even talk about this without swearing, so I do apologize. Um, I don't mean to offend anybody, but um, yeah, wow. <laughs> well, I think that is, uh, for him to listen, I think it's fairly conclusive that neither of us were fans of the Thank You album. We did kind of hint at it at the end of the previous podcast, where we, we, we were underwhelmed by it, so people probably shouldn't be surprised about that. The Again, as as always, we, we like to get people to send in their top three Duran Duran songs. And as always, we all also want to appeal to anyone who quite fancies giving it a go. All you need to do is just send us a wee voice recording, record it on your phone, and you can 
email it to us. The email address is duranduran at paulcurdahay.com or get in touch with us via Twitter at Albums Duran. And all that is is just a wee explanation of who you are, how you get into the band, and then your three songs and why they are important to you. Someone who has done that is Martin Jeeves, who has given his, his top three and slightly, I suppose, tweaked the rules a wee bit to sneak a few more songs in. But here is Martin's top three selection. Hi Paul, hi Molly, and hello to all the Duran Duran fans out there and listeners of the Duran Duran Album Podcast. My name is uh, Martin Jeeves. I've been a fan on and off of Duran Duran since 1982, so way back. I had just left my junior school and gone to secondary school, and I remember hearing a song on the radio. Back then, in the early 80s, they used to play album tracks quite a bit, as well as the singles. Now, that song was Last Chance on the Stairway, and it very quickly became one of my favourite songs. Really loved the melody of the song, and I think it's kind of just got some, some magic about it, particularly the piece after the guitar solo, where the guitar solo then goes into the Wonder Why line. I'm not going to sing it, otherwise I'll ruin the experience for uh, every other Duran Duran fan who's listening. But just love the song. I think it's a real, real staple of their, uh, of their back catalogue. And um, yeah, just can't get enough of it, really. It was on the Rio album. And as we all know, that album is uh, all killer and no filler. Every single track on that, uh, that album is stunning. Uh, I really think it holds up as one of the best albums of the 80s. And um, I think it's the strength of the album, really, where a song like Last Chance in the Stairway wasn't selected as a single. Because I think it could have been a really big hit for the band. But they just had so many strong songs on that album that... Um, you know, Last Chance in the Stairway ultimately wasn't selected as a single. My other thoughts on the song, really, because I do remember it very clearly, you know, being played over the summer of 82. And it's really what made me go out and buy Rio. And I think I bought the, the original Duran Duran album at the same time as well. It's just a, a summer song. It just reminds me of summers and, and of good times. And um, I think it's a bit of a shame, really, that of all the tracks on the Rio album, it's probably the least well-known. It's probably the, the one they don't tend to play live very often. I think they played it on the Red Carpet Massacre tour. And I know there's plenty of fans of the song. You know, lots of people really, really like it. But it just seems to be one of those tracks from their back catalogue that doesn't really get the, uh, the attention that it, uh, that it is due. So if any members of Duran Duran are listening, please, can you play Last Chance to Stay Away live a few more times? And maybe even do a night version remix of it. That would be, uh, be amazing because I love the song. Always have, always will. So that's my top number one Duran Duran track. Number two is a truly beautiful song. It's called Ordinary World. It was released on the 1993 Wedding Album. I've got to be honest, I had kind of drifted away a little bit from Duran Duran by that point. I was moderately a fan of Big Thing. I liked the singles off the album. I did like some of the album tracks as well. But... My interest in the band was kind of waning at that point. Uh, much like Molly, I was kind of getting a little bit more into sort of like American rock and hair metal and um, Def Leppard and Bon Jovi and, okay, Rat maybe a little bit as well. Um, all those kind of bands and, you know, I was just getting into other things. And Liberty, uh, I'm not even sure I bought Liberty at the time, which was the 1990 Duran Duran album. And Liberty is probably still my least favourite, to be honest, although it does have some good songs on it. But Ordinary World was the song that really brought Duran Duran back to me. And I think that did for a lot of people as well. It just reintroduced Duran Duran to a new audience, to a new generation. And it really is a beautiful song. All of the melodies, uh, Le Bon's voice, particularly towards the end, where it is really, really soaring. It's just a very heartfelt song. The guitar work is stunning. And I think a lot of that is uh, due to uh, Warren Cucurillo, who was the guitarist in the band at the time. I think he did a great job on that. And I think he had a big say in the uh, second single from the album, Come Undone, as well. So I think he was very instrumental in both those big hits. Ordinary World, I think, is probably one of the songs that really picked up a lot of, a lot, you know, picked up a lot of ears of critics as well. A lot of people have been quite critical of the band in the media, calling them kind of, you know, pretty boys and a girls' band and, a, you know, a teenage band. But I think Ordinary World really let the world know and the, and the critics, the music critics, know that Duran Duran could write really, really mature and great songs. And I think it still holds up incredibly well. I think it's one of their best-selling singles and 
totally deservedly so. I think it's a wonderful song. Even people who aren't necessarily Duran Duran fans really rate it. So Ordinary World, great track. Brought me back to Duran Duran, for which I'm forever grateful to it. Um, so that's my number two pick of a top three Duran Duran songs. Now, my top three, the third one is quite hard. I think a lot of people are finding this the problem. Picking three songs from their back catalog is really hard. So I'm going to mention three songs very briefly. First one being Planet Earth. Uh, this song really, to me, epitomizes Duran Duran. It epitomizes the whole new romantic era, the early 80s, the frilly shirts and that kind of electronic music where it fuses punk, it fuses rock, it fuses disco. And it's just a completely new sound. And what I love so much about Planet Earth is that it just doesn't sound dated. Although it is totally an 80s song, actually is a song that could really be at home on either, you know, Paper Guards or All You Need Is Now or any of the recent albums. I think it's really fresh. I think the bass line is stunning. And of course, it gave us Duran Duran, really, you know, to a certain extent, it was their birth, you know, the song that really got them noticed. I have seen the uh, Planet Earth performance on Top of the Pops, and if you haven't seen it, it is on YouTube. And again, I think that was a real breakthrough moment for the band, so um, do check it out. But Planet Earth is definitely up there, and it's my third favourite Duran Duran song. But I do have two others varying for that um, honour. The second track that I think is deserving of being in the top three is a track called Out of My Mind. Now, this track was kind of recorded around the Medazzaland era, and it was originally recorded for the Hollywood film The Saint, which starred Val Kilmer and uh, Karate Kid's Elizabeth Shue. Now, if you haven't seen the film, it, it's kind of okay. It's got its fans. It's also you know, pretty flawed. I think it was reshot, I think, a few times. But the track plays over the end credits, and I remember watching the film, and hearing the track and thinking, wow, this sounds really, really good. And that's got to be Simon Le Bon's voice. It sounds, you know, really Duran Duran, but at the same time, somewhat different. And I remember just tracking it down. And I bought the single and I don't think it was a big hit. So I was one of the probably one of the few that bought the single. And then, of course, it later appeared on the Medazzaland album. The Out of My Mind really features a fabulous kind of sitar, Eastern Indian kind of feel to it. The backing track is really kind of in that vibe. And I think Out of My Mind really epitomizes that. And I think it's a great example of what Duran can do by using that variation. They're so good at varied music. No, no two tracks are ever really the same. Lastly is a real obscurity. So my uh, third pick for my third favorite Duran Duran track is Beautiful Colors. Now, this track was actually recorded for the Astronaut album. And it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, track. Really, really beautifully sung by Le Bon. Uh, it's got great work by Andy Taylor on there as well. Um, really heartfelt. The lyrics are fantastic. But it was leaked, unfortunately, I think about eight weeks prior to um, Astronaut being put together. As a result of that, Duran Duran actually decided to not record it and not put it on the album. Um, and it's since kind of been well known by you know, Duran Duran fans who've tracked it down. And if you want to hear it, it is on YouTube now. So if you wanted to put in Duran Duran Beautiful Colours on YouTube, you will hear the song. There's several remixes of the song out there with you know, subtle differences here and there and even a night version, but it's never been officially released. But do check it out. It's a wonderful song. It's a real shame that it didn't get released on Astronaut. They did play it out of interest at the Wembley shows in 2004, which ultimately got them the uh, contract with Sony who released Astronaut. So I think it's one of those songs that he definitely intended to be a part of the whole Astronaut thing. Anyway, so I hope I've not gone on too long. Great work again, uh, Paul and Molly, really loving the podcast. And um, yeah, if anybody has any feedback on my top three, uh, please let Paul and Molly know through the podcast. And uh, yeah, look forward to hearing more about Duran in the future. Really looking forward to their new album as well. said at the start of the podcast, Molly, that we're over halfway through the Duran Duran albums. That's us just done number eight. We're going to be going on to number nine, Madazaland. I don't know if you've uh, listened to it at all up to now. I have it if you listen to it. So um, I'm really looking forward to chatting through that album. This is really now entering into uncharted territory for me because, you know, I have mentioned in the past that I lost my way a little bit with Duran Duran throughout the 90s, but um, I knew 
I know absolutely nothing of this era for Duran Duran until Astronaut was released. So I'm really looking forward to seeing, do they pull themselves up by their bootstraps? I mean, they're starting at a very, very low level after this Thank You album. So the only way is up, surely. So I've got high hopes for it all. This is actually the first Duran Duran album I think I bought in CD rather than vinyl. Up to that point, I had all the albums in vinyl, but this was the first one. And I, I can't remember, obviously, at the time whether it was just because CDs were in, or maybe there wasn't a vinyl album available because it didn't really get a UK release. But I've had the CD without really listening to it. But, you know, over the last few weeks, I have dipped in and out of it. So I, I think it'll be a good, as always, a good Duran Duran chat. As always, thank you for listening to our Thank You podcast. Uh, I've waited the whole podcast to try and get that in. And uh, whether you enjoy the album or not, we both hope that you enjoyed our chat about it. As always, it has been a pleasure. And um, yeah, sometimes it's it's okay to not like a Duran Duran album, but I hope going forward there aren't any others. Thanks for joining us on the Duran Duran Albums podcast, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us, that will help other Duranis to find us. And of course, if you can spread the word about the podcast, all the better. You can also let us know what you think of the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at albumsduran or email us at durandoran at paulcudahy.com. Join us next time on the podcast. And in the meantime, keep listening to Duran Duran like some new romantic looking for the TV sound.